Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you got any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, but they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Amen. Thank you, Fran. Good morning, everyone. Is the audio okay? A little bit close, is it? Is it all right? Right, wonderful. Thank you so much for reading that, Fran. Um, Tim uh, gave me a choice of passage for the good news, um, and I chose this one. It's one of my very much favorite passages, um, so I hope I can do it some justice this morning. Let's just, let's just pray before we get started. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this gospel account. We thank you for this passage of scripture. We ask this morning that you will speak to us by your Holy Spirit, that we will hear your voice calling out from the beach into our circumstances. Amen. Good. Well, a couple of years ago, um, Hannah, my wife, and I were very blessed to have one of those very rare and special experiences when you're young parents. We, we went on a city break without the children, without the children. 
Now, don't worry, we didn't just leave them at home with a full fridge and let them get on with it. They were staying with um, Hannah's parents, and they had a lovely time. But um, it feels like a, a whole lifetime ago, really, that you could do this. But we, we jetted off to Copenhagen for the weekend. Um, and it was, it was a great weekend. We went to Hamlet's Castle. I don't know if you know that there's a castle there that may well have inspired Shakespeare to write um, Hamlet or to set Hamlet there. And we took in the local architecture, those lovely colorful houses. And we walked around a botanical garden. We went to the mermaid statue. You do all the stuff that you do when you're a tourist. Um, interestingly though, the thing that probably stayed with us the most was breakfast was breakfast. One morning, um, Hannah and I had the perfect Scandinavian breakfast. We went to this little unassuming cafe, um, and we had their complete breakfast deal. We had dark bread, which is my favorite kind of bread, eggs, ham, yogurt, muesli, jams, beautiful coffee. It was a breakfast that we'll, we will always remember, and a breakfast that then affected our normal lives once we return from Copenhagen. Hannah now has yogurt with her muesli every morning. Um, it's changed her eating habits in a kind of nostalgic nod to our Copenhagen experience. And we still measure all breakfasts by that Scandinavian standard. It's funny, isn't it, how food experiences can stay with us in this way. Have you noticed that about us? We're kind of wired as human beings to, to the act of eating together serves as a kind of vehicle for memory a vehicle for meaning. And obviously in the Jewish and Christian tradition, that's so clearly evident, isn't it? The power of food uh, to act as a vehicle for meaning. Breakfast, so the saying goes, is the most important meal of the day. Why is that? You know, I, you can probably tell I've got a great love for breakfast food. I've just realized I'm not wearing my glasses. Um, the name, of course, implies, oh, there you are. Uh, the name, of course, implies its importance. It's a meal that breaks the fast of the nighttime, and it prepares us for the day ahead. The breakfast episode described in John 21 is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. The question is, why is this breakfast the most important breakfast of the Gospels? What does it have to say to us about the good news of Jesus Christ? So we're told at the end of the Gospel of John that Jesus did many other things during his ministry, both pre- and post-resurrection, that could have been written down. And so we're safe to assume that every story that kind of makes it into the director's cut is there for an important reason. So this isn't just any old breakfast. The Gospel of John actually seems to draw naturally to a close in chapter 20. Um, and many scholars call chapter 21 a kind of epilogue, a final flourish by the author or a close associate of the author to leave the readership with some important um, lingering ideas and thoughts and questions. This humble breakfast on the beach, therefore, has been included for a reason. It's a story rich in meaning and significance, and was clearly intended to teach the early church something about what the good news of Jesus' resurrection now means for them as a community of Christ followers. For those of you interested in the context of these things, there were clearly some concerns in the early church at the time that this epilogue was written. It's likely that the final chapter was written after the martyrdom of Peter, so that was around AD 60, as far as we know, and may well have been written by a close friend of John following his death. 
We can see the concerns about John's death or approaching death in verse 23 of this chapter, where they worry about what Jesus meant when he said that John might not die before he returns. The point at this moment in history is that the early church were worried, or some quarters were worried, that Jesus hadn't yet returned, and that all the original disciples were either dead or were soon to die. It's an understandable concern. It's an understandable concern. The question that might have lingered was, what do we do now that Jesus and his disciples are seemingly gone? What do we do now? There's a very pleasing narrative unity to this story at the end of the gospel. The disciples come full circle, of course, returning to the fishing grounds which set the scene for their first call in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus asked them to follow him and fish for men instead. Here we find the disciples, perhaps understandably, returning to the day job. These are the difficult days and weeks following Jesus' death. The disciples were laying low. They had encountered the risen Jesus a couple of times, but were still, it seems, uncertain about their next steps. Pentecost had not yet happened in their story. They had not yet fully received the helper or comforter who would guide and empower their next steps. It is understandable, therefore, that they would go back to the water and see whether they could gather together some produce to sustain them during this difficult period. The scene echoes with significance for the early church and for us today. The disciples have pushed out into the dark waters, but we're told that their nets are empty. It was commonplace for fishermen at the time to prefer the nighttime to ply their trade, but the significance of the empty net, I believe, is wonderfully symbolic. The disciples, it seems, cannot fill their nets alone. They cannot fill their nets alone. They need some help. This story, therefore, is for any of us who feel sometimes that we are toiling in vain, that our nets are empty despite our labors. For those of us this week or this year or this decade who have found ourselves adrift in a dark sea with seemingly nothing to show for our labors. Perhaps this morning you feel that your nets are spiritually empty. Perhaps you feel adrift in the nighttime seas. Perhaps you feel that you will struggle to drag anything of worth to the beach. If this describes your circumstances in any way, then this story is for you. And it's for me too. This story is good news because it shows how Jesus meets us in such circumstances and how he guides us and how he fills us, and how he sustains us. Firstly, he guides us. The disciples, all skilled and experienced fishermen, have had a night to forget. It's like my week this week, by the way. (laughs) Verse 3 tells us that despite a full night's toil, they have caught nothing. I rather enjoy Jesus' question in verse 5. Haven't you any fish? (laughs) How how helpful. (laughs) He knows, of course, the answer to this question. Why is he asking? Is he mocking them? Does he have a smile on his face? You got any fish, guys? 
you got any fish? Or is he getting them to notice something so that they learn a deep truth that will carry through the rest of their lives? The point here seems to connect to his pronouncement earlier in the gospel that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Without Jesus, our nets will forever remain empty. I'm going to say that again. Without Jesus, our nets will forever remain empty. No matter how hard we try, how skillful our hands and robust our equipment, our nets, our lives remain empty and devoid of purpose without Jesus there to guide us. Amen? Mm. This is for me this morning. I love the distance in this passage. He doesn't walk across the water like the story we read last week. Nor is he asleep in the boat as he was earlier when the storm raged. Things have changed. He cannot be with them in that way anymore. Instead, he stands on the beach and calls out into the darkness, his voice carrying over the waters into the small boat. He speaks into their situation and asks them to realize that without his guidance, their nets will always be empty. He offers them a choice. He does not force himself in. He doesn't throw out the nets for them. He doesn't haul the produce in on their behalf. He doesn't even miraculously multiply the fish like he has before. This time, he guides them instead to find another path, to follow his way, to listen to their master's voice. Throw your net on the right side of the boat. He says to them, follow me, hear my words, trust in my guidance, throw out to the right side, the righteous side, and you will find some fish. Friends, if you feel that this morning you are sat alone in a dark boat, cast adrift in a barren sea, and that your hands and your nets are empty despite your best efforts, then this good news is for you. There is another way. Jesus tells us that his yoke is easy, that his burden is light. He invites us this morning to hear his call, to stop the fruitless toil, and instead simply cast out our nets on his side of the boat. Secondly, he fills us. What does this story promise us if we follow his guidance? The outcome certainly isn't easy. In fact, the disciples find themselves with more fish than they can handle. (laughs) Jesus does not promise us that his way will be easy, but he does promise that we may have life in all its fullness. A gift that will be returned in full, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. The good news of the gospel is the promise of an abundant life, a life filled with blessing and challenge, a fully human existence. What I love about this story is that the nets are so full that they must work together to haul it into the shore. What an image of the church in action. This is no private religion. 
We are in this boat together. And we will find our nets full if we choose to cast them on the right side. We are told that the poor will always be with us, Matthew 26, and that the widows and the orphans will always be in need of God's love. We have been invited into a mission of abundance. There is no shortage of fish in this world. There is no shortage of fish. The issue tends to be that whilst the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. If we make the choice to cast our nets out together in the direction that Jesus guides us, we will find our nets quickly full. It is no easy life, but it's certainly more of a life than sitting in an empty boat surrounded by dark seas. Finally, he sustains us. What is the disciples' reward for struggling their heavy net to shore? A fish breakfast. <laughs> I love the irony of it. They're probably fed up to here with fish, aren't they? A fish breakfast. Jesus greets them with a reward in keeping with the nature of their work. He blesses them with sustenance. Notice, too, that he invites them to contribute what they have caught to the barbecue. It's an invitation to contribute to the celebration, to partner with Jesus in both the work and the reward. I believe Jesus is teaching the disciples something here about the promise of the life to come. It suggests to me that the things we do in this life in service of the kingdom will somehow echo in the new heaven and earth. In short, friends, the fish we catch, the work we do, it matters. It matters. The good news is that Jesus invites you and me to partner with him in the work of his kingdom. He chooses to work with us, to include us in his kingdom project. This is the purpose of the church. And Jesus promises to sustain us in this work, to set us up with a hearty breakfast, to feed us with his word, his presence, his spirit, to empower us with his mission, his guidance, to give us nets that won't break, even when stretched to bursting point. And this morning, Jesus stands and waits for us on the beach, ready to give us rest. My friends, this story has much to tell us about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be the church. It's good news. Jesus guides, fills, and sustains us by his Holy Spirit so that we might do immeasurably more with our lives than we could ever accomplish ourselves. We are invited this morning to join the great fishing expedition of his kingdom, to take part in the work together, and to ultimately land on the beach at the end of a long night to have Jesus say to us, come and have breakfast. I want to lead us in a short reflection in response to this passage. Um, would you mind? Uh, James is going to play quietly in the background. and I just want us to engage the power of our imaginations this morning. This is a wonderfully evocative passage, almost like a parable. It's got so much to say to us. And I just want to root ourselves in our imagination in this moment. I want us to hear the sound of the, the waves 
on the beach. And perhaps if you want to or you feel comfortable just to close your eyes with me. Imagine this morning that you are dragging to shore the nets that have passed through the waters of this week. Feel the weight of all that has been done, thought, or said. Think of the blessings, the kindnesses, moments of compassion, the prayers, the worshipful moments, the moments where you felt the still small voice of God or his presence. And imagine each of these moments as a large, shiny fish, glorious in its iridescence, its scales catching the sunlight of the morning. Imagine, too, the other elements of the week that have been caught up in that same net. The rocks and debris, the words spoken in anger, the feelings of resentment, the judgment of others, the selfish moments, the feelings of envy, the moments of hatred. Feel the weight of those moments too in your nets. invitation this morning is to drag the heavy nets of this week to the shore, to lay down your catch at the feet of Jesus. And we trust him to sift the produce, to dispense with the rocks and the pebbles and the rubbish and to draw out the vibrant fish, the moments of service that are good and pleasing to the Father. Take a moment to offer to the Lord the contents of your nets this week. And then let's take a moment to think about the empty nets that we are preparing for the waters of the week ahead. Let us ask Jesus for guidance this week to cast the net out into the right waters, for help in hauling it in, for courage in the nighttime when the waters seem barren, for good hearing in the darkness when we feel as though we have drifted and we can barely hear his voice. Keep us, Lord, close to your shore. Help us to hear your voice. Guide us to fish well 
the week ahead.